Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney. And me, Dante Bosco. Each week we'll recap and discuss a new episode. So come join us and our amazing guests from creators to cast to superfans to chat about all things Avatarverse. It's Fire Nation time. Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Braving the Elements wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Marvel Vision, a podcast about Marvel, the MCU, and right now, Echo, 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 I'm Uh, Alex. I'm Echo, Justin. I'm Pete. And we are going to be talking about all of Echo season one, question mark, only season? I guess we'll see. Nobody ever knows with a Marvel TV show. Regardless, it is on Disney Plus and Hulu right now. If you haven't watched all five episodes, check it out because we're going to jump into spoilers eventually. But first, we're going to talk about general impressions of the show. Obviously, there was a lot of anticipation here, is I think a generous way of putting it. There was a lot of... I have a general impression, Alex. (laughs) It's the Kingpin. (laughs) I also have a general impression of when I was a boy and I watched Marvel's Netflix's Daredevil, Maya. Anyway, Maya, Maya, this this hammer looks small in my hand, but it's also small in general. (laughs) I've got big, meaty hands, Maya. Anyway, uh, that'll never happen again. I'm sure we won't do that impression at any point. Regardless, he didn't do his. Not uh, not to flame this negatively, because I think we want to talk about the positives of the show to begin with. But there was a lot of talk behind the scenes leading up to this in terms of the release schedule. This is the first Marvel show that has been dropped all at once, at least from Marvel Studios. Obviously, very different back in the day with the Marvel Netflix shows. It was also moved around the schedule a bunch. So... I think there was a lot of negativity going into this show. However, in terms of reaction online, because we're taping this about a week-ish after it came out, uh, people were really pretty positive about it. I think as a whole, in terms of the reaction, pleasantly positive about a lot of aspects of it. Um, Pete, I want to go to you first. You are a Marvel positive guy. What do you think about the show? Were you on the flippy-dippy negative about this? No, I, I I enjoyed this uh, very much. Uh, I also think it's um, the way to kind of watch this is to Ooh, watch. Are you going to get into machete order for the episodes? You got to watch episode three first, then episode what? That episode? No, I, no, no. no. Uh, oh. What I'm saying is first watch Res Dogs, okay, and then mm. really miss Res Dogs and be like, oh, there'll <laughs> never be anything like Res Dogs again. How can I bring more Res Dogs into my life? And then have a what if moment of what if the Res Dogs met the Marvel Universe and then watch Echo and you will be so happy and delighted with everything that you get. I mean, I will say that as a big fan of Reservation Dogs in a show, if you haven't been watched, not to be comparing these two shows just because they feature uh, indigenous people. We have a lot of the cast in it. But truly, it is like so there's maybe eight actors, I think, ish (laughs) across the both series. And it's it is such a pleasure. Graham Greene is so good. Oh my uh, god! 
I love uh, Dallas Goldtooth, who plays the spirit in Res Dogs, yes. and he's here in a smaller role. It's just yeah, comforting to hear guy, his dude. voice. Young yeah. Warrior. Oh, ho, Young Warrior. Yeah, yeah. Yes, of course. Yeah. I, he is oh, such dude. a, I don't know, the, his voice is very calming to yeah. me. And yeah. to Plus hear him, he does was, the, are you ready? Yeah, like yeah. that was a fun uh, hype-up mm-hmm. song that he... Well, and of course, not to forget her, but Devere Jacobs is Bonnie, who is Echo's best friend slash cousin slash almost sister uh, mm-hmm. figure slash and, slash no relationship at all but yes yes uh what were they do they just call everybody cousin is that no no they, they i think they were cousins right but i just mean from an emotional standpoint i was like why, <laughs> why right, wait friends? wait we're not gonna get to negativity yet. hold on uh but i do want to say great to see her also great to see her again fresh off of her as cohorty doing the voice of cohorty over on what if however no relationship between those two characters. That's just an animated character. This is a live action character. She's playing two different things. So there you go. Uh, but Pete, that's okay, back positive. To, back to positive. Back to you. Yeah. Take okay, great. Also, the Native American music in this is unbelievable. There's the the powwow is just. Um, uh, the pageantry of it. it was just so amazing. The kind of moments, little moments that are kind of captured in this. Uh, I really was kind of blown away by it. Also, there was some really emotional scenes. Uh, the stuff with the grandmother really got me choked up. Um, uh, there were some just some beautiful moments. And also, you know, you guys were making fun a little bit of Kingpin, but I love the Echo and Kingpin back and Loving Loving. We were just I just want to interrupt because I think you took it personally that he has a very distinctive voice. Vincent D'Onofrio is play as Wilson Fisk, as Kingpin, one of the best casting decisions that Marvel has ever made across yes. both parts of the franchise. He's he looks like he lives his life as Kingpin. <laughs> and they just happen to get him on set here a couple of times. It is wild when you see interviews with him talking about the show, because he's like, he's Vincent D'Onofrio. He looks like a normal person. I don't know what they do to bulk up that suit where he looks like he walked off of the comic book page. It's insane. Anyways. It is amazing. Anyways. That's all positive. Pete. I, I loved the the <laughs> scenes with the t- with your positive reactions, Pete. That was uh, I'll try again. The, the two of them, the back and forth, like the moment when she is like, you could have learned sign language in all this time. Like, oh, just just really powerful, amazing moments. The fight sequences with Daredevil were unbelievable. Um, yeah, just sequence, I would, sequence singular. But yes, go yeah, he was only in it a little. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. That was awesome. I don't care. Oh, you want to fucking quantify it or singular? It was. Great. It was great. It was yeah. fucking great. It was good. Um. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I just also like there was some real nice little Easter eggs in here. The rocks on gas station uh, stuff. So like I I really was. I'm impressed with the amount of lifting that was done in this series, but also just the small, powerful moments that happened a lot. Uh, I laughed. I cried. I was really kind of happy overall with uh, what went down in this series. And I was really happy that we got more Echo. And there wasn't a lot of movement with Echo as a character emotionally. Like, I love the fact that we see Echo, we know who she is, we know what she's about, and she kind of like, she was like, fuck you, family, you left me for nothing. 
just because I see you, just because I'm back in town, I'm not going to go out of my... I was really impressed with that as a character because it's who she is. There is a coldness to this character um, that I think they did a great job of protecting throughout the series. Sometimes it's easy after people have been through, like, hey, oh, now we're... you know. But I just think that like the fact that they kind of held on to it really showed me how much they understand this character and somebody who's been through trauma and gone through stuff like this. It becomes a part of them in a way that, yes, they want to eventually evolve and become better people, but like you hold on to it. It's, it's a, it's, it's really uh, very moving what they've accomplished in the series. Well, let me ask you something on that, Pete. So do you think at the end of this, this five episodes, you, do you think she's changed? Do you, and do you feel good about that? Or are you, where, no, where do you I do. I do think she has changed and I do think she has grown. Uh, but I feel like they didn't, it wasn't this huge swing of a needle where it was just a little movement that made sense. But the fact that she was kind of started off as this a little bit colder character um, and uh, kind of, uh, uh, leaned into that and kind of explored that in a way that not only made sense, but also was very true for someone who's kind of been through as much as she has. So like, I was just, uh, yeah, I, I, I was happy with this and, uh, I'm hoping. For I mean, more. I, I, I'm interested that take is interesting to me because it is a Maya is a character that is like rejecting everything. And, yep. and all of these characters we meet, she's rejected them. And, in most of the series, we don't get any big moments really until a little bit in the fifth episode. Yeah, uh, we get that. Like the Bonnie character uh, is meant to be this important person, but we never actually see them interact in present yeah, day. I, and that's what's so great when they're both uh, kind of tied up and thrown in the same closet. You're like, oh shit! Like now it's going to go down. But it's. I was just really uh, happy with those choices where it wasn't like, oh, my God, my best friend's here. Now we're besties and we'll never be separated. You know? Sorry, just to mention real quick for anybody who hasn't watched the show, just I should have done this at the beginning, but a big overall of the plot kicking mm. off. This is, first of all, a Marvel spotlight production, which means you don't technically, according to Marvel, have to watch anything else except for the fact that the first half of the you first should. episode is a uh, Clips reel from Hawkeye. A twenty-eight, a twenty-eight minute catch-up on stuff. <laughs> yes, so it is actually a spit-off of Hawkeye. It is actually a spit-off of Mar- uh, Marvel and Netflix's Daredevil show as well. There's certainly elements for that and direct shots that they live for there as well. But at the same time, picking off at the end of Hawkeye, where Echo discovered, excuse me, Maya discovered that Kingpin. Her uncle, her sort of adoptive uncle, the person who trained her in crime, actually had her father killed. She shot him in the face, left him for dead. She is now on the run from the remnants of Kingpin's empire, heads back to Oklahoma, to her town, to begin a fight back against Kingpin and, again, the remnants of his empire, take over his empire so she can become the first queenpin. Little wrinkle in her plans, Kingpin's not actually dead. He heads to Oklahoma. There's a bunch of back and forth there where they jockey for power. And ultimately, Kingpin ends up on the run. Echo, actually becoming Echo, gets a costume. She gets powers at the end of the show. And she decides, seemingly, to continue to live in Oklahoma with her friends and family and uh, get away from a life of crime and instead be a life of a hero. Um, Yeah. 
So so that's the very broad overall arc of the show. Yeah, but that's also a very interesting moment where she wants to be the, uh, you know, the queen pin. She wants to kind of take over. And Kingpin's like, hey, I want you to take over. And then she realizes, oh, I, I don't want this. This is a bad. If he wants this, I probably shouldn't want this. But to kind of get back to uh, the Kingpin and her, that part where he brings the fucking hammer i was like oh my god that was such a crazy uh powerful um yeah. uh, cool scene for sure uh to kind of be like all right here you go you all you gotta do is beat me with this hammer that i brought for you yeah we get a lot of that hammer now do you think i something hearing you talk about it, alex kingpin is short for king bowling pin right mm-hmm. yes exactly it's well, i feel like we should refer to Farrelly him. brothers movie i believe like he was <laughs> he started his character there and then it was so cool when they brought him into daredevil i was like what's exactly. that here that's that's it's a goofy a, comedy movie it's just funny that kingpin is like such an intimidating and he's named after a, a piece of bowling mm-hmm. a bowling part yeah, well, it's also uh, a thing, right? Like, it's an actual thing of the real world is a kingpin of crime. Yes, yeah, so, uh, so more so. I think more so in this show than less in what's the, happening. Right but now. he's also he looks like a bowling pin, right? Like he has the That's shape of saying. a bowling pin. Do you think Vincent D'Onofrio studied bowling pins? Yeah, because it's dressed Who in the white suit. Who you calling a psycho? <laughs> I spent most of my time at a bowling alley. <laughs> Those balls. Always knocking me down. I'm the I'm the king pin, the first one. <laughs> Here, I'm going to throw out some positives about the show while on the positive bet. I agree with you on the cast. Fantastic cast across the board. Um, I liked some of the visuals. I thought they were very nicely done, particularly in the flashback sequences. For the first couple of episodes, we got flashbacks to powerful women throughout Choctaw history. Some mythological, mm. some less so, but all mixed together to spoiler though we're already into spoilers, lead into literally Maya's powers being to echo her ancestors, to pull on the powers of her ancestors past, as well as echo them outwards and give them to other people is what we discover. So I thought those sequences were very nicely filmed. Also a very surprising way to kick off the first episode with going back all to the mythological origins of the Choctaw people. So that was interesting. I thought the fight scenes were great particularly if you're a fan of the Marvel Netflix shows, that's 100% what they were going for with the classic Marvel Netflix hallway fights that they kind of made their name with. That was back here. Like Pete mentioned, Daredevil Echo fight in the first episode was badass. The train sequence was very fun in the second C uh, episode. And the bull, not bowling, uh, skating rink fight uh, in the third episode was really cool. That move where she pulled the guns out of the video game cabinet and whipped a guy with it. Oh yeah. Very cool. cool. Lots of fun. Um, So I had fun with that. And of course, like we've mentioned, Kingpin is such a great villain. Um, It's always good to see him. And uh, just beyond this, we talked about this a little bit on the live show. You know, I, I, I don't mean this dismissively is the wrong word. I don't know what the right word is here, but it's really laudable that they are doing the show the way that they're doing. The fact that, They have Alakwa Cox, who is a person who is actually hearing impaired in real life, actually has a prosthetic, and that uh, reportedly, I think, everybody on set learned different levels of ASL so that they could all communicate together that the show is broadcast, for the most part, in different varieties, different languages of ASL and other types of sign language, 
including Choctaw, and that also there is Choctaw dialogue as well, that they are bringing other cultures, other varieties of um, peoples forward, I think is great. And that's good to see on TV in a really positive manner. So I'm very happy with that as well. Uh, One thing that kind of is important, and I think it's good to show that off. Yes, Pete. Yes, agreed. One thing to kind of jump in on that, what you're saying is the acknowledgement that they got at the end of the credits was also very nice, too. Yeah. And like just from a storytelling perspective, like two things, like the show wasn't about uh, her Maya being dead. It was just a piece of the story. And it wasn't like this is the whole thing. Same with her um, her leg. So like that, that I think is like a step forward in storytelling in general. And the fact that they moved this, this story took place. It wasn't in New York. It was in, some, it was a different type of story um, than we've seen in the past. I thought, I agree with you. It was great. And on the positive side, I agree with everything about the cast. I thought it was shot very well, just great camera placement. It felt like they made it feel comic booky without, without sacrificing any like of the dynamic action. So uh, fight sequences I really like were great. I like the uh, just the settings of these things, like skating rink, super fun idea. Like it felt like they were embracing the fact that they were in a smaller town uh, and were able to do stuff that was that germane to that. I thought was really good. Uh, Pete, I have a question for you. We've done seventeen positive minutes. Is that enough, or can we? Uh, do we need to? Keep yeah, going yeah. I definitely. Okay. I just want to. Why we're still being positive? Just one more thing yes. after the credits. You're over time, but go ahead. Yeah, after the credits, there the uh, Pat Kiernan New York One moment was uh, was nice. And uh, the New other guys, Errol Lewis. Like, you got two two NY One Spectrum News guys. Very excited. Good for them. It's amazing to go beyond Pat Kiernan. He's become such a staple in yeah, uh, the New York experience that now we're going a level deeper. Mm-hmm. That's shouts to that. Uh, from a New York experience. And like, I don't know, I think framing this is like, we're positive now and then we're going to be negative. That's not super helpful because I, like, I like to talk about this show mm-hmm. in, in, it is what it is. We're just talking about it. So like, then there will be criticism. Here comes some now. Um, th- this, th- the talking about the Netflix daredevil, this felt like a Netflix show. The fact that it was dropped all at once. It felt like one of those, like the second season of some of those Netflix shows where it was like, what, why, why are they doing that? And it felt like rushed. Cause mm-hmm. I do think from a casting, like we're saying and look perspective, there's so much good here. But I was just like, why does this make no sense? So many of the things in the, in the episodes made such little sense that I, I was surprised. It had really like eighties action movie logic for a lot of things. And and that's that's the kind of stuff that I'm like, it's easy to fix that. You just have to do it at the beginning. You can't fix those by re-editing them. That well, makes just it harder. to jump in there a little bit. Yeah. I mean, the fact that we didn't get a Marvel flip at all, it was a still was a little kind of like. Well, and the know. Marvel spotlight. What do you how do you feel about it? Do you I think they put a lot is. of time and effort into making that? <laughs> I don't graphic? know what that is. There's uh, Michael Giacchino. I did a new sound for the Marvel spotlight, a logo that they're definitely going to use a lot of times on a lot of different projects. <laughs> I, I was like, I was like, who, who made this? This looks like. A home video. I, it looks like something in the iMovie. But it, it I was so un. Can, just to spend some time. I mean, I'm sorry. I always like to talk about the Marvel flip. If you want to talk about the Marvel flip more, I mean, by all means. <laughs> no, but I I'm actually do. I think I'm it was. A, it was a weird. This is important. This actually is because I think it was a weird detriment to the project. Like that they made it <laughs> a separate thing. They wanted it. I, I think they wanted to indicate like. 
they were worried it was bad. They clearly were worried it was bad. The Marvel flip gonna, was bad. They were worried that Echo was bad. Like, oh, I don't yeah. know this for a fact, but I think we could intuit this based on literally everything about the rollout of the show. And they wanted to jam it in one place, get it out there, be like, nope, this is a separate thing. Don't need to worry about it with the MCU. How do we positively frame that? Oh, it's unconnected to other Marvel projects. But like we've already established, it 100% is not. Like, you can watch it on its own because there's a Hawkeye glimpse reel at the beginning, and I guess that's fine. But it is a spinoff of Hawkeye. It deals with stuff from Netflix's Daredevil. It is teeing up Daredevil Born Again in the end credit sequence, presumably, unless they go in an entirely different direction there. So it's not its standalone project. So to put the Marvel Spotlight thing right at the beginning was confusing for people. People are like, what is Marvel Spotlight? What does that mean? I don't know what that means. And there was too much time spent with people online being like, well, this is what it means. And then back and forth of like, wait, but it isn't disconnected. What are we talking about here? Agree. It's so weirdly confusing. And honestly, the way it plays is like, we're spotlighting things that we don't think are good. So you'll maybe watch them. <laughs> and it's sort of like, don't do that. Right. Just put it out. Like, yeah. or like, oh, let it be what it is rather than like, trying to the- the way that they people. frame it is the way that the Marvel Spotlight logo card or whatever you call it, title card, I guess, is it is structured in a way like a prestige project. Like that's yes. the impression it's giving. And I don't mind that if they had actually aimed for we're going to do a five episode project that's really going to delve into the Native American origins of Maya Lopez that makes a lot of sense. That's not what this project was or how it necessarily it plays out. If they had decided that beforehand, like you were saying, going into the project, it would have been different. And I, I think that's overall my criticism of this thing. Obviously, we weren't involved in the production project process at all, but there were a lot of rumors about how it was originally eight episodes. They eventually only shot five of the episodes. It does feel really choppy across the board. It either feels like they either didn't have a strong direction going in or they had a strong direction. Somebody in the studio disagreed and made them change it because the things and this gets again into my like the thing that I struggled with a lot while I was watching this season is I love the idea, even though it doesn't make a lot of sense, but I love the idea of Maya being like, I'm going to start up my roots, fight my way back up. And we're going to have this crime thriller show about how she works her way up to become queen pin of crime, starting with Oklahoma, working her way back up to New York. The fact that instead it was your fairly typical superhero origin story where she's like, I'm going to do bad things and kill people. And people are like, don't kill people, Maya. She's like, oh, I guess actually there is a better way. Instead, I shall become a superhero with my costume and my superpowers. That's where it felt too Marvel-y to me when I would have loved something that was this five-episode intense crime thing hearkening back to the best of the Marvel Netflix stuff. That's what worked, but everything seemed at war with itself throughout the show. Well, and it reminds me of what the Marvels felt like, where it was like, oh, there's more here, and none of th- this sort of works, but it doesn't quite work. And we're missing out on a lot of the emotionality that actually is the underpinning of the story. Like I was saying before, like the Bonnie character, it mm-hmm. feels like that's a huge that is a huge driver for Maya. But we don't ever see that relationship outside of the shadow puppets thing when they're kids. And a lot of the relationships, I was like, all these are, you have great actors. You, these characters are interesting. Let's be with them or let's see them through Maya's eyes a little bit. 
Because the other thing I was thinking, another way to do it, the crime thing is a great idea, like a slow queen pin story. Awesome. Where she maybe learns the lesson at the end or a story of a person who is getting visions and having powers and that's like breaking her brain. And so like her, like being lurching in and out of like these visions and fights and all that stuff where it was a little bit unsettling and surprising. Then I think we could have leaned in on that as opposed to feeling like it has that Marvel, the same thing of like, it's a slightly overly complex story. We're giving you as much as we could get in there. And you'll have to just, in your own brain, understand that Bonnie and Maya love each other. We're not going to show you that. Oh, I I just wanted to add on about the Bonnie thing, because there are very few scenes together were so electric and so good. Like, Lockwa Cox and Devray Jacobs, awesome. I wanted to see more of that, but they kept stepping away from it. And I think... There's no better example of what seemed to have happened with the choppiness that we have this setup of them as kids, their cousins, they love each other, they're as close as sisters. So, of course, okay, the show is going to be about that and how they get back together, right? Instead, when she gets back to town, she sees a guy outside and he's like, Maya, it's me, Biscuits. And I was like, what? (laughs) I couldn't tell you Don't you talk shit about Biscuits, man. I don't mind Biscuits, but there was no establishment of Biscuits, so I was completely Best use of a monster truck, Biscuits, come on! I will say, that was badass. Biscuits, very fun character, very fun actor, but I think the fact that they were like, we're really leading into... Her cousin is this person body. They have a strong relationship. And the first person we see when she gets back to town and she's like, I'm your cousin, Biscuits. I was like, did we sub out body? What is happening here? Well, we yeah, all we don't have, have, you know, that family member who. You no, know I know. But I'm sure there was more time. And then there's Here's the what I'd person say. you run into. I bet you're my Biscuits. I bet there was more right time either shot or in the script <laughs> where they established more of a life for young uh, Maya, and we got to meet Biscuits, got to see more cousins, got to spend more time with them. So there was some more sh- Biscuits. You're more. saying more Biscuits? Yeah, oh, more I biscuits. can't believe that. Justin, I just want to reiterate something we kind of stumbled across here. I will always be your Biscuits, okay? <laughs> I don't care how much time goes by, I will show up in a fucking giant monster truck and kill anybody you need. Can I, can I throw something? This is just a pitch for you guys. What would you think the next Marvel Spotlight show being a Biscuit spinoff? We, I want to see Where Biscuits going from, from not understanding how trucks work to building a monster truck in an afternoon from junkyard parts. That's what I, the story <laughs> Did he I want sell to that see. PlayStation also? That's what I want to know. Like, we never oh, found out about that. And that was 100 a bucks. Good price. Man, I want to I want to back up the monster truck a little bit here. We were talking a lot about the kind of uh, Marvel flip, but one thing that I thought was very cool, especially when you're kind of like telling you us back to the loading screen, is that what we're doing? Yeah, yeah, the loading screen. <laughs> Pete, I love uh, you. Were like, I let the record show. I moved on, and then you literally backed over the record, yeah. over <laughs> your buddy Biscuits and Alex. Yeah. yeah, to go back to the Marvel flip. So I, I uh, not the Marvel flip, but the idea of this kind of silent movie. I feel like was such a great idea when you're telling like an older story, but also with Echo, I just thought that that was such a cool, fun, powerful choice that I really liked. Can I, can I ask a question? Uh, I don't know if Pete, you've seen this, Justin, I know you have. Do you think they did that black and white movie thing before or after seeing Killers of the Flower Moon? Well, I hope I no before. <laughs> yeah. Let's say it's before. Cause I was like, it seemed guys, like 
Flowers You're right over in came the out a lot after, after than this was. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how they did that necessarily because obviously black and white movies predate both of those things, but the framing, mm. the look, everything exactly the same, which I guess yeah. is okay. But I was like, uh, that was really yeah, good like, there. Don't. That's something you would want in general. Yeah. Um, I Just a quick topic. Can, you, can we talk about how Wilson Fisk's business works in this show? <laughs> Because he's the kingpin of New York. Again, yeah. the king bowling, <laughs> king bowling pin. Uh-huh. He has a shipping company in Oklahoma. Right. And he ships stuff, crime stuff, from Oklahoma to New York. Right. I don't know. What stuff would that be? Perhaps grains? I don't know. Weapons. What's he, it's weapons. It's, yeah, he's it's bringing weapons, weapons from, from Oklahoma to into New York City. Right. And she blew up. And when she blew up the armory, they were like, it's Maya. I know it. Mm-hmm. And then they went to Oklahoma and Kingpin took a weekend to go out there and then have therapy. Well, this is how supernatural crime therapy. There's crime. If you take over all of crime in New York, you also have to have, have an outpost a couple of like thousand miles away in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Like here, mm-hmm. I, I was trying to logic through this a little bit because I don't think it makes a lot of sense other than this is where these two characters are. There is something to be said about a prominent white man using indigenous people to do all of his grunt and dirty work for taking work from an indigenous community. They don't go there and they don't do that, which I think is a missed opportunity. I thought that would have been great. And it would have made it would have made much more sense because there's a way to get into legality. They didn't point it out. I mean, it's clear. It's hard to point it out or play with it thematically at all. Right. But it's happening. <laughs> sure, there's a lot of things that are happening, uh, but sure. in in a dramatic TV program, in some way, you have to indicate or play with that idea. Otherwise, just being like, uh, well, yeah, I fact- mean, also pancakes exist, but they don't talk about them much. But we know they're there somewhere in the world, mm. so that's important. No, in the MCU, I think pancakes are square. And oh. prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. <laughs> prove me wrong. Uh, we'll just have to watch Deadpool three and see what happens. That's the only. They're called there. square cakes. Yeah. The. Uh, Way that I tried to logical through it is that could have been a thing that maybe got left on the cutting room floor or in the script stage or something like that. At some point, it seems more likely that they set it up the way that I was talking about, like the train goes through town. Right. And Mm. that's why she's there. That's the whole reason she says that is just the first part of her plan that we never get to see any other parts of her plan. But it makes sense to me that like she blows up the train. She announces it that she's there and she's coming for Kingpin. If she starts in Oklahoma and works her way back to New York again, that makes way more sense to me than all the action taking place in Oklahoma. Yeah. Especially when she was blowing up an armory in New York with a slow release bomb from, uh, from Oklahoma. But also do you think, when does he have time to develop his apps? The Kingpin. (laughs) I I don't want to speak out of turn because I don't know how anybody who is hearing impaired feels about that. I certainly thought that was very silly. His his little cartoon arms coming up. And okay, it was visually like whether or not this technology is being developed. Uh, it was it played strangely in this show when it was meant to be taken very seriously. But really, it was meant to be a little writer's shortcut so they didn't have to have translation happen mm-hmm. in all of those scenes is what my understanding was. But I thought that was just such a strange also moment. murdered the translator. So how about the, the ASL woman have in the episode, in the first couple episodes, I was like, how do you get that job to be the, the Kingpin's uh, ASL person? And then I was like, 
She was murdered? Why did we see her die? We see her specifically die. I was like, why did we have to do that? I did like, I will say, I did like the emotional hit. I think it was in the last episode. Uh, Pete, you mentioned there was the beat where Maya is pissed off. She says you never bothered to learn sign language. He clearly did. He just made the choice not to. As a power play. What do you mean he clearly did? He did not. He signs in the last episode. He. I think he only learned a little bit. Yeah, he only learned a little bit. Bonnie has to translate. Yeah. Bonnie is doing the sign signing at the. Otherwise, they'd just be talking. I don't know. I'm up to interpretation, perhaps. I thought that he did and chose not to, to essentially have power over Maya in a certain way, to have her removed from it. Um, But I don't know. I like that emotional beat regardless. I agree. I did too. And like I, to keep it positive, I did like the, that Maya sort of the lesson here is that healing someone who is in as much pain as the Kingpin when she learned that about him is actually better than just punching him. Like she tried to kill him. She shot his eye out and he somehow grew it back. Shouts to the Kingpin because he can still see even though he was shot in, I guess he was shot right next to his eye. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. Uh, do you know but about I, Phineas I, Gage? Maybe it was a similar thing to Phineas Gage. Uh, that's a yeah. great call. I, uh, yes. Phineas Gage, for anybody who doesn't know, is a guy who had a railroad spike shot through his head. It went straight in through his eye and through his brain. He survived, but he went steadily crazy and exhibited animalistic behavior. Um, Fun. I I think it's crazy you thought we would know what that meant. <laughs> <laughs> you guys you don't Gage. listen to my Phineas Gage podcast, Gagecast? Yeah, I, honestly, I feel like you're running out of uh, stuff to talk about. <laughs> Once you told the story. I don't know. What There's else still got? a lot of railroad spike experts I could talk to. It is funny. His name was Gage, which is a railroad term. There you go. Uh, we I, are so, what kills us. Wow. He's going to die of paper cuts. <laughs> it was LePage that killed him. Oh, boy. Uh, what I was trying to say is, like, I did like... The idea that she is healing him and he that is the one thing that would defeat him. I did think it was crazy. that He was like, what did you do? I was like, he therapy. She's giving you a little <laughs> bit of therapy, guy. You've never talked about your feelings. And then he ran away at the end of that, which was also a weird <laughs> resolution. Got in the back of his I mean, car <laughs> like a little little baby, like a little toddler riding home. A little silly. Uh, Little silly, uh, but I the idea of that I thought was a useful idea. I wish we had a little bit more time with that. I wish we were just riding it with Maya and got more of her feelings and emotions throughout the series. Well, we were literally riding with her. There were a lot of montages of her riding around on her motorcycle. (laughs) motorcycle. Clearly used to connect scenes that they were cutting through that used to have scenes in the middle there. But yeah, uh, can we talk about her powers? So yes. We actually talked about this in a pre-podcast a little bit, but in Hawkeye, in case you missed it for whatever reason, she doesn't have any power. She's just an excellent fighter. In the Marvel comics, her power is similar to what Taskmaster's is, where she can echo people's powers. She can copy their moves and things like that. The showrunner of the shows thought that was a stupid power. She said that in a quote uh, and instead went to a different direction. We're here, as we mentioned earlier, she could echo her ancestors and then pass those powers on to other people. She gives them to Bonnie and Chula, her grandmother at the end, and they both get super strength and beat the crap out of a bunch of guys. 
big change here, as well as being able to heal, just like her mother, who has glowy fingers and she can heal people with them. Uh, So she's able to do that as well, which is what she does to Kingpin. What do you guys think about this? Pete, what do you think about this change to Maya's powers and how they presumably are going to act going forward in the MCO? Well, it was... It was a choice. They tried to connect it, uh, you know, to this kind of origin and to kind of have her be able to go up against Kingpin in a way that I don't know. I just uh, I you can say you don't like them. It's okay, Pete. Yeah, it's okay. It's not that I don't like them. It was just kind of a weird origin story that I felt like I was clunky at times because at first it felt like. There were these lava people, and then there were people partying upstairs, and the lava people were upset about it, and then kind of it got crazy after that. So I don't know what wow. happened. Or New Yorker over the there. First scene is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I I think it the it, it feels in conflict with the crime story that they're telling. Like it feels like to have something that is. Not like so many other Marvel characters, they are they have something happen to them and they have these powers. Spider Man, your Spider Man, your Captain America's, and this feels like something that like her mom just casually heals and like it's something that is very in the world. So that 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 opens up a door that I that but that asks more questions and I think it thinks it it answers with this. But to kind of put a positive spin on it, this idea that when you look at somebody's kind of heritage, you know, people will say like, oh, this person was this because, oh, their father was a doctor or there's this thing that's in the family gene already of like, oh, these people are smarter or these people are more athletic or taller or whatever. So I do like this idea that if somebody in her family was a sharpshooter, she can kind of tap into that. If somebody in her family was a healer, she could tap into that. I love the idea of that. Um, and this well, thing of like this power that echoes through generations is a cool idea. And to take that even further, the thematic thing of Kingpin is an echo of the evil or the abuse of his father. And he she's she breaks the cycle by healing. So she is sort of like fixing that bad echo using her good echo from generations back. Just to jump off what you're saying, Pete, and I think that's a really great analysis of it, Justin. I agree with you on the idea of it. I think the issue is the execution of it, the way that it happens in the show. It does feel like a powerful moment when all the women are standing behind her, but... And visually, it was cool. I will say the yes. editing there I thought was dope, though. And they kept cutting between the different women. It was cool. Yeah, it's uh, like we're sort of bouncing around a little bit. I think it's this push-pull between probably what one person wanted the show to be and what somebody else wanted the show to be. And what doesn't really work for me about it is the whole marvel of it all, to be frank. Like, turning her into a super legit superhero with a costume that she gets at the end. Yeah. And having that whole arc, as well as, like, I think the ASL arms that Kingpin has, that's another thing that feels to me like, oh, we're in the Marvel Universe, we can do this, bleeding-edge tech. It would have been much more interesting to take a chance and not have any of that stuff. Leave all of that stuff to the side and instead have a really grounded story, crime story that involves 
Alakwa Cox, who is already a real life superhero who kicks so mm-hmm. much ass in Hawkeye, continuing to do that stuff in her series. Kingpin, who, mind you, in Hawkeye, he kind of had super strength and was tossing Kate Bishop all over the place. We don't really see that here necessarily, but he's certainly somebody who survived a shot in the eye. That's okay. Like, we could just have him be a super strong crime kingpin, and it doesn't need to go any further than that. Obviously, it did, but I don't know. It feels like there was a conversation at some point being like, we're the Marvel Universe. We could do anything, when instead, limitations often make things stronger. I I would like to talk about one thing that I think was very uh, interesting and and worked well in this is, you know, a lot of times they're like, oh, I'm going to make my superhero suit. And you're like, wait, you can sew, you can do this. Like this was a a family heirloom that was like made specifically. So I do think that as far as like a costume origin story is, this was pretty awesome. And it It just didn't make sense why she would need a costume. Right. Right. She she, already had a costume. She was already wearing the symbol on her and everything. And I liked her jacket. I mean, I like both. It just, to me, it didn't make a ton of sense. I liked the little symbol on her jacket there. Um, I thought that was very cool. Yeah. And as far as I've heard, that costume has very specific meaning as well. Uh, Obviously, we are three white dudes talking about this, so I don't want to step on any indigenous people's toes or anything like that. Um, I'm talking more just about the arc of superhero and where it felt like she already is coming in. She already has a very distinct look. She has a distinct feel and it's not that the character can't grow, but she didn't need that. I want to jump into something else that I think really came out of the choppiness. And that's the fact that I don't think there's any plans in the show at any point that made any sense. Like whatever they were like, I have a plan. It had one step, and that was it. Like, the train is the big one, which you you were talking about. She blows up the warehouse, and she's like, good to go. That was my plan to become Queen Bit of New York. But even that comes down to the scene where she and Bonnie are tied up uh, and held prisoner in the skating rink. And they're like, okay, we're in this room together. I got a plan here to get out. And her plan was show off that our hands are untied and that body gets taken outside. And then I turn into MacGyver and create some sort of nail gun type thing. There were too many things going on. I didn't uh, like, I don't have any idea what happened there. And then that extends to the last episode where she puts on the costume and they're like, keep your eyes out for Maya. She could be anywhere. And she's literally right in the middle of the powwow, just dancing with everybody. But that's then, a genius move. You know, I, she's right in the, like, how are then, you going to pick her But that doesn't connect to anything. Like, she's not hiding out or anything like that. Then she just goes into the stables or wherever they go into. There's just a yeah. lot of disconnected action throughout the show. Yeah, and that may have been because of, of an editing, combining a bunch of things. I actually liked the, like, I'm with Pete on the last episode. The one place they wouldn't look is within the powwow. And so yeah. she goes in because they're looking for some, like, badass motorcycle instead she's coming in you know as who she really is amongst the power i thought that was cool but i agree with you the ring scene i was like this doesn't make any sense and on the villain side the dude who cleaned the skates was like he kept being like money i'm here for the money where's this money we've talked about i was like they i would kill you you're being <laughs> annoying. All Go three of away. Those people. There's no money. It's like they were like, these are the three funniest people we've ever met in our life. Just let them improv. Just let them improv on set for a while. Like, Please stop. I was like, 
And let us meet these two ladies because the ladies, I was like, what's the deal with these two ladies? <laughs> and why are these the henchmen, henchwomen? Like, let's either meet them before or have them be do something. Instead, they were like, He's like, I don't know what's happening. The other one was like, I don't know what's happening. And they're like, well, now we're dead. <laughs> it's like very strange. Well, and also Kingpin's plan at the end there was so insane in the last episode where it was like, if I can't have Maya, I'm going to blow up this power with a bazooka. Uh, that, I also, guess you shouldn't has- keep... Uh, bazooka missiles in a cooler. It's just where would not... you keep them? Where would you keep them, Pete? Well, you you keep them you keep them in a a proper box for storage. You know, not I something where water and ice can get in there. You know what I mean? <laughs> Is your proper <laughs> box, sir, full of your big boom yeah. booms? That's always a problem with coolers. Just like somehow water and ice getting in there. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who knows? You don't put it in there with the I beer. Mean, I will so say, reach for a beer and then ah. Oh. Yeah. oh, don't open that. That's yeah. not a beer. That's, That's a, a grenade. grenade. Yeah, a bunch of beers. Yeah, of grenades. <laughs> She's oh, no. carefully. <laughs> you got three seconds, buddy. Uh, what do you think of the kingpin when he got back to New York? And hey, boss, how was your weekend? Oh, pretty fucked up. <laughs> well, when he got back from New York, they were like, "Hey, boss," he was like, "Shut up, I'm running for mayor." Well, do we want to? <laughs> is there anything else about the series proper before we get into the end credit sequence? Uh, one thing I would say is um, I've, I've been reading the um, MCU book, the mm-hmm. uh, sort of origin that Joanna Robinson uh, did from The Ringer. And um, it's so interesting. There, I'm reading about how Iron Man was made and how much time they put in. And they like lived it. They were all they were shoot. They were writing, shooting. They would go out for drinks, still talking about it. And I think that method has been crunched down to like, ah, we'll figure it out. And that's where I think so many of these problems are when the only way to do the we'll figure it out method is if it's literally all you're thinking about and you're able to synthesize all this creative juice down into a product that you have a vision for. When you don't have a vision and you're just winging it, that's where you get this choppy and the stuff like we've been talking about that it's like, ah, it's so close to being cool, but it just doesn't make any sense. So it's so hard to be invested in it throughout. And I, it's, it's a good read that book because it, it does crystallize a lot of this stuff that we talk. One about. of the things that probably comes from as well, though, is having a filmmaker who not only knows to ask for that, but also the studio allows them to do that. I'm thinking specifically, we've been discussing this in our Patreon Slack a little bit, but James Gunn has been very active on threads. And in particular, he's been throwing around a lot of filmmaking advice that I think is pretty good and pretty interesting, certainly from his unique perspective. But he's talked a lot about how one of the biggest problems he sees is you don't get enough time for that lead up. Like you really yeah. need the time to actually write the whole script and know what you're doing before you get to the movie. And that's exactly not what Marvel does. Their process is write the script, put it together, film it, take a look at it and be like, oop, two thirds of this doesn't work. Let's scrap that and come back and do it again. That's exactly as we're about to talk about what they're doing with Daredevil Board Again, where they had half the series filmed and then may have ditched all of it and started over, maybe keeping some scenes similar to what they did seem to have done with Echo. But he was talking about also, I think this was yesterday as we're taping, where he said, you know, there are some things like the specials, his first movie he wrote in nine days. And that was just like he was in a frenzy of writing. That was all he was doing versus Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. He spent more than a year on just the script 
to make sure he got yeah. it right and make sure that he felt there was an ending that was deserving of this trilogy. So this isn't so much big plus up for James Gunn as an example of, to your point, what I don't think Marvel is really probably allowing people to do anymore. And maybe as part of this pause that they're having in 2024, maybe that's hopefully part of the reassessment that they're doing with these projects going forward. Well, you have to learn the lesson. It's just not tenable when there's this much money flying around and you've hit a breaking point when it comes to making money, which they have, their movies aren't doing as well anymore, that they have to change. Like It's just too wasteful for them to do it this way. And I think this Echo will be the last project we see made under this old strategy. And I think now they're going to move forward with a more traditional, like, let's have a showrunner who is the person who has the vision and everything will flow through them. And then we'll start to have sort of an organized production where there can be time allotted for more creative swings and a more a richer understanding of what they're trying to make. Well, and part of that is legally they're required to do that now because of the writer's strike, right? But they've also Shouts. yes, yeah. but they've also announced at the same time that they are taking more of that traditional project process. And that's good. I mean, it's there and it works for a reason. You can't just buy it, fly by the seat of the pants and say, yeah, we can do TV. We can do anything because clearly they can't. So there you go. <laughs> Pete, um, what were you going to say? Yeah, I like the uh, the Lion King uh, moment in the uh, junk art was fun as well. <laughs> that was funny. Yeah. I like you have just one touches. little... One little pebble you want to throw into the well. (laughs) Oh, and I want to give a shout out to Zach McLaren in the first episode. Real bummer to not have more of him. Great actor. Uh, Love love him. him. I mean, I said it earlier, but Graham Greene, I think, is some of the best just like real scenes in this are him and his shop. I really love the Choctaw leg piece that he makes for Maya. We don't really see it again. Yeah. But I thought that was really oddly. But I thought that was a, a great moment and sort of was like, Yes, this is what sort of what it is where he's like, yeah, I know you're like you want to kick ass, but maybe you should look at some of the other stuff in your life. And that was like using an object and just good acting and like a lightly written Mm -hmm. scene to show us something as opposed to just be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She built a nail gun in the back of a skating rink out of a skate. Cool. Later. The whole Scully Chola Chula relationship, I thought, was really good and was something that really suffered by the compressed running time. It's the sort of thing that clearly was in there for a longer run, multiple seasons, see how it develops, see how they work their way back to each other romance wise. And instead, we got a couple of really sweet, funny scenes that unfortunately didn't crest into anything, you know? Yeah. Same thing as the Bonnie thing, like we were mentioning earlier, where she just got to look up, uh, you know, show up, look intensely at Maya, and that was pretty much it. We needed a lot more there. All right, yeah. why don't we move on? Oh, yes. Oh, sorry, what, just one last thing. Um, uh, Devry Jacobs, who plays Bonnie, like, she is, over the course of uh, Reservation Dogs, the run on that, she went from being, you know, one of the lead actors to uh, being in the writer's room in second season, directing an episode um, over the course of the run. I'm so curious. I would love to see an interview with her where she talks about the differences. And this is, she'd have to be pretty candid to say stuff. The differences in production from seeing the developing as a, a creator in television over Reservation Dogs and then jumping into a Mar- Marvel show that is a little bit fraught on the front end and how it came together on the back end, because I bet she has just a great understanding of the pluses and minuses yeah. of those two different things. Yeah. 
Uh, Devery Jacobs, come on our podcast. We'll let's be, talk. Let's talk. <laughs> Forget those NDAs. Doesn't matter. It's an NDA free zone. We've film and tape this in international waters. Why don't we talk about the end credit sequence? So as we mentioned earlier, this is Wilson Fisk, uh, tail between his legs, headed back to New York on his private plane when he sees New York's Pat Kiernan and Errol Lewis, I believe it is, talking about how there's a mayoral race in New York and there's no real good candidates. They just really need somebody who's a scrapper, a a fighter. A brawler, somebody who's been down, who has a deep voice, makes omelets, and loves to stare at paintings on walls that are mostly blank. Uh, you know, that sort of thing. It, mm. Yeah. I'm joking, but, like, they're so very specific about, like— You're joking, but also we've seen politicians just kind of freeze, you know, and just kind of be staring, and you're like, are they all right? You know, like, Kim Kim does that on the regular, bro. Oh, I don't regular. think that's considered a positive in, when anyone does that. <laughs> I don't know if you th- that's not a, a requirement for going into politics. It seems so, like it is. Regardless, in fact, I, I believe it's sort of a time to go moment is what most people This is are. a clear tee up for a storyline from the comics from a couple of years back. It was written by Charles Soule. I'm sorry, I'm forgetting the name of the artist who was on it, but it ran through Daredevil. It was in 2016, I think, if I remember correctly, or 2017. And it yes. was very clearly Wilson Fisk standing in for Donald Trump running for mayor of New York instead of president of the United States. It was the same sort of rhetoric, same sort of talk. And it's what if a supervillain ran New York City and spoilers here, but he ultimately does win. He does become mayor of New York. That lasted for years up until pretty yeah. recently when there was a follow up okay. storyline by Chip Zdarsky called Devil's Raid, where basically Wilson Fisk took it a little too far with the years of New York and eventually got ran out of New York and Luke Cage took over as mayor. Very fun turn of events. But it seems like to me, and I know I mentioned some changes behind the scenes in Daredevil, but it seems like to me just on the surface, they're very clearly teeing up the plot of Daredevil Born Again, which is Fisk runs for mayor and then presumably loses in some way by the end of the season, getting a rough adaptation of the mayor Fisk going at Devil's Reign storyline. I would presume. What did you guys think? Yeah, and and that's cool. I think it does make me think, if that's the storyline, because the Daredevil series was originally like 18 episodes, right? 45. Yeah. Uh, no, well, they were they picked it up for 18 episodes for Daredevil Born Again. Yeah. Uh, now we don't know what the episode count is because right. they're kind of presumably scrapping and going back to the beginning. There's new showrunners. They have been rewriting it. The directors who are new directors were like, yeah, we're at zero. And everybody was like, oh, God, you saw oh. shot. You shot <laughs> like eight that. or nine episodes. What are you doing? But there you go. Uh, I'm, I bet that number will go down uh, or or change in some way. And we, I guess we didn't know, but the cadence was maybe going to be six, six and six. Like it was going to be like Whoa. that was my guess. I feel like. You can't be like, we're going for 18 weeks. That's just not going to happen. No. But yeah. if they do Daredevil Part 1, Part 2, Part 3, that makes a little more sense to me. So now I bet it'll change uh, a little bit. The fact that they're going all the way back to the drawing board with all of it, but still including this Mayor Fisk setup in this, yeah. feels like at least they have some choices they're moving forward. They're not like literally starting over. and Because that would be a stressful thing for a production to do is to absolutely start over when everyone did so much before. 
and to either do a little bit of it or not. It feels like they at least have collected enough ideas and they have a starting point. So that's I was I was happy seeing this. Yeah, I do hope they pick up on it because I think that's a smart storyline to do. I wonder how hard they will go, to be frank. Like, there's a big difference between Charles Soule writing a Donald Trump stand-in in Marvel Comics, which is already a little bit of a push for some of the comic book reading audience, for Disney to release a show potentially right after a presidential election or the beginning of next year and be like, we're really going in on Donald Trump. Maybe a little too much for a big corporation like that, potentially. Um, Agreed. Uh, I think having worked on a show that was about conspiracy theorists, uh, which was the opposition with Jordan Klepper when everyone thought that Hillary Clinton was going to win, and then having to write a show where Donald Trump is president was a difficult uh, nut to crack, uh, (laughs) let me say, from a creative point of view. And and I think they could still go for it, but they're going to have to be a lot lighter in terms of how they hit it satirically wrong word, but like versus what Charles soul was doing where he really dug into it and made it very much a one-to-one at points. I think they'll have to intimate it versus outright stating it just for the corporate nature of what's going on there. And let's be clear. Also, they could also just not do any of that. They could just do something completely different and maybe they're not actually going to use it at all. And this was just, a cool thing to put at the end because it does offer they do a, a little coda they for cool things yeah. at the end. So yeah, yeah. so it, maybe it won't be it at all, but it. the idea of it is interesting to me because talk about putting Daredevil in a bad spot, and he's always best when he is under the boot heel. Well, also tying back to the discussion we've been talking about here with Echo, where mind you, this is my personal thing, but I would have loved to see something where they went hard on the crime drama of it all. I think leading into a political thriller with Daredevil and Kingpin, that's cool. And that's different than anything we've seen in the MCU versus if it's just Daredevil season four, of the same thing we saw three times already on the Marvel Netflix show. I'm sure it'll have fans and I'm sure people will be happy to see an extension of that. But take more risks, take more chances. That's going to be the I thing also that will draw hope people because back to Marvel. Echo, uh, you know, Daredevil showed up in the Echo series. The Echo shows up in the Daredevil series. Yeah. Quid pro pro. I mean, the idea of doing Daredevil and Matt Murdock doing like some real courtroom drama, uh, like in a, you know, law and order-esque version where instead of like cops and lawyers, it's Daredevil as Daredevil and Daredevil as lawyer. That's cool, too. Do some of that. If that's really well written, that could be just as gratifying of a fight. For sure. All right. I I guess that's it for Echo. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. We'll see if there's a season two or any continuation in any way. Personally, I'm looking forward to whatever is next under the Marvel Spotlight banner. That's going to be very exciting to see. If you'd like to support us and all of our podcasts, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Facebook and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about Marvel, Apple, Spotify, Android, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at comic book live on Twitter slash X comic book club live on TikTok and Instagram comic book club live.com for this podcast and many more until next time. Stay marvelous. No one messes with the kingpin. Except for anybody in a bowling alley at any time, then I'm the first pin that gets knocked down. The king one in the front. Hey, I'm glad we didn't bring up the uh, Make America Skate again. <laughs>